This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, and we appreciate those who may be watching for the first time, and we are indebted to those who watch every time we come on the air. Today on our telecast, we're going to be looking at a, a text that comes out of the book of Ephesians, the third chapter of Ephesians. Our, our lesson is entitled, God is Able. God is Able. I hope that you'll stay tuned as we discuss that subject today. What is God able to do? Now today we continue to offer the free Bible Correspondence Course. And I emphasize the course is free. Thousands of people all over the world are taking this Bible course. We'd like for you to have a part in it as well. In order that you might know more about the course, that you might know how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm reading now from the third chapter of Ephesians, and I want to read the last two verses of this chapter, verse 20 and verse 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think or according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The God of heaven is a God of power and might. He demonstrated his power and might in the beginning of time, in the creation of the heaven and earth. He put the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all of the planets in their places out in the universe. He created everything that exists upon the face of the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is a God of might and power. He is a very capable God. He showed his might and his power and his capability when he allowed the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea on dry ground, thus bringing an end to their uh, enslavement in the land of Egypt. God through the centuries has shown his might and his power in so many ways. He showed his might and his power when he raised his son from the dead. Back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So God is able, but 
What is God able to do? Well, first of all, God is able to save us. In the third chapter of Ephesians, there are a number of things that we learned about God saving man. In verses 3 through 5, we learn that the plan of salvation that is referred to as the mystery was revealed. Paul said how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read, that is when you read the mystery, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul says, when you read what I have written, then you're going to understand what I understand. He said, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Though the mystery, the plan of salvation, the scheme of redemption what man must do to be saved has been revealed. And it's been revealed in the gospel. Now, this was not just for Jews, but it was for Gentiles as well. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. It's through the preaching of the gospel that all men Jew and Gentile alike, could be saved. But in order that they might know what they must do in order to be saved, it was necessary that someone tell me. So tell them, and so in verse 8 he says to me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So in order that the Gentiles might know the mystery, that they might know the gospel, that they might know the plan of salvation, it was necessary that they have someone preach to them. And that's why Paul said that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And when he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ that are included in the gospel, it was in order to enlighten people. Notice verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. In other words, he is going to enlighten them. He's going to preach to them. He's going to explain to them things that are included in God's scheme to save the world. To make all men see. They may not believe it. They may not understand it. But Paul says, I can make them see it. And says, which was from the beginning, uh, was hidden from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And so what he was preaching was unsearchable riches. He was preaching the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is made up of all people. All people who obey the gospel, who obey the the message that has been preached, compose the church. And all people are included. Notice in verses 10 and 11. 
to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the church is made up of all people. All people have a right to the gospel. There's no respect of persons with God, Acts 10, 34, and 35. In 1 John, the second chapter, the Bible says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All people, wherever they may live, are subject to the gospel. And they can understand and believe the gospel that is, that was referred to in the Old Testament as being a mystery because it was hidden, but now it's no longer a mystery because it has been revealed. All people are subject to it. And John, the third chapter in verse 16, makes that so plain, so clear. For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Any whosoever in all of the world who accepts the gospel, believes the gospel, and obeys the gospel can be saved. So the church is made up of all men. And he can save all men who come to him. He's able to save to the uttermost all of them that come unto God by him. Hebrews 7, 25. Have you not read in the scriptures? Have you not read in the scriptures in John chapter 6 verses 44 and 45 that those who come to Christ are those who first learn about him, who understand the gospel, understand the mystery, and they become obedient thereto. Christ extended his invitation not to a select group of people, not to people in the western world, not to people in a certain locality, he extended his invitation of salvation to the whole world. In Matthew 11 and 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You see, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God would have all men to be saved, not just a select group. Why, for that reason, God could save a man like Saul of Tarsus. The first time that we are introduced to Saul of Tarsus is in the book of Acts. And in Acts the seventh chapter, Stephen was being stoned. And there was a man holding the garments of those that were stoning Stephen, and his name was Saul. In the eighth chapter of Acts, Saul uh, is known to, as one who was persecuting the church, Acts 8, verses 1 through 4. And then in the ninth chapter of Acts, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he went up to the high priest. He demanded letters or asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So as he was on his way to Damascus, there was a light that shone round about him from heaven and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, Go arise and go into the city and it'll be told you what you must do. And 
Saul of Tarsus was a man that persecuted the church. And yet he was saved by the Lord. Why, when he came to Ananias the preacher, which is again recorded in the 22nd chapter of Acts, Ananias told him to arise and to be baptized and to wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul realized that he had persecuted the church, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. But, but he said, I obtained mercy because I did it in, in, ignorantly and in unbelief. And he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Christ came to save sinners all over the world, not just in a particular location of the world. And he came for the purpose of saving you. He is able to save our souls. But he is also able to hear and to answer our prayers. That's evident from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Listen to it again. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He's able to do more than we ask him to do. He's able to do more than we think he can do. I don't know of a reason that we should not pray. We should pray because, well, first of all, it is a command of God. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 is a passage that just stands on its own. It's not modified in any way by the context. It merely says pray without ceasing. It's a command of God. We should pray because this is the way to obtain what we need. James chapter 4 and verse 2 uh, mentions a needless state of poverty. He said, you have not because you ask not. And so we obtain what we need by asking for what we need. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. So we should pray because God says to pray. He commands us to pray. In Luke 18 and 1, Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. We need to pray because it's the way to obtain what we need. And we should pray because it is the way out of trouble. Listen to Paul in Philippians 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, God is able to hear and He's able to answer our prayers. And when we are, have our backs up against the wall and we don't know what to do, rather than worrying about it, pray about it. And we'll have the promise of verse 7 that the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We should pray because this is the way to overcome the devil. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and in verse 18, Paul talks about prayer. The thing I find interesting is that he had just be talked about 
the need for the Christian putting on the whole armor of God, beginning in verse number 10. And then in verse 18 he says, as, as he has concluded talking about the armor, and the last piece of the armor was the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You see, we deal with an enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Uh, he is trying to destroy you. He's just trying to destroy your family. He wants to destroy me. He'd like to destroy my influence for good and your influence for good. How do we overcome the devil? Well, after talking about all of that armor, Paul said what you need to do is pray all the time. Praying always with all prayer. Being watchful to this end. With, with all perseverance, don't ever stop praying because it is the way out of trouble. And there is power in prayer. Tremendous power in prayer. Listen to James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. And then he said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's availing power in the prayers of righteous people. There's power in prayer. Listen to Ephesians 3 and verse 20 again. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. There's power in prayer. Passage that I enjoy reading is Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And I think our world needs shaking, don't you? And imagine what would happen if people throughout the world began to pray to God and turn to God and beseech God for help. You think that wouldn't make a difference? Oh, yes, indeed, because God is able to answer our prayers. But someone may say, Brother Lambert, I just don't think that God is able to hear and I just don't think God is able to answer my prayers. Well, now there may be a reason for that. The reason is you may not be listening to God. Solomon in Proverbs the 28th chapter and verse 9 said, Whoso turneth his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So if we're not listening to God, there's no reason for me to think God's going to listen to me. If I have my heart, my ears, my attention turned away from God and I even refuse to listen to Him as, I, as He teaches me through His Word, there, 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 there's a reason God may not be listening to you. You see, Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 1 and 2 tell us, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is His ear heavy that it cannot, cannot hear. But it is your sin that have separated you from your God and, and it is your iniquities that, have, that, that He will, keeps God from hearing you. It's sin that keeps God from hearing us when we pray. But God can hear and God can answer. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. The eyes of the Lord over the righteous. 
and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So if you say, I don't believe God can hear and answer my prayers, there could be a reason for that. And it's not God's fault. You know, many, if not most, of our failures in life are really prayer failures. It's because we've not prayed about it. That There's many a preacher right now that's struggling, wondering why he's not being effective in his work. And I would ask him, have you prayed about it? Have you asked God to help you with what you're trying to do? Have you asked God to make to, to help you to be sure that what you're teaching people is what he wants to be taught. There's many a wife who's praying for her husband and she'd like to see her husband become a Christian. And the reason she wants him to be a Christian is because she wants him to line up with her. Well, a prayer like that's a selfish prayer. It's proper to pray that other people become Christians. But, but not that they would line up with us or be on my side or our side or anybody's side except the Lord's side. We ought to pray that people become Christians because they're lost and they need to be saved and their lives need to be glorifying God. You see, when we pray, we need to be sure we're not praying a selfish prayer. But many of the, one of the biggest reasons that we, we fail in life is because we fail to ask for help. James 4 and 2 says, You have not, why not? Because you ask not. That's the reason you have not. Jesus said, Ask and you shall receive. So God is able to save us. God is able to hear our prayers, but God is also able to keep us safe. Notice Ephesians chapter uh, 3 and verse 18. And he says, To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, we are strengthened with power in the inner man. Let, listen to verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, that is with power, Strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. God is able to do that. He is able to strengthen us with might, with power in the inner man. The Apostle Paul prayed for his brethren here in Ephesians chapter 3. And he was praying for the whole family in heaven and earth. Ephesians 3.15 he was playing for God's family. And he said that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might uh, through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I pray that you're going to be rooted, that you're going to be grounded. I'm praying that you're going to be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, I want you to dwell in Him by faith. You see, Paul prayed that they would be able to comprehend God's love, that they might be able to comprehend what is the height and the length and the width and the breadth and the like of the love of God. Think about the width of His love. God's love is so wide that it includes all people. Hebrews 2 and 9 says they are able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost. Hebrews 7 and 25. Hebrews 2 and 9 says that he by the grace of God tasted death for every man. That's how wide the love of God is. And the love of God is so long, that's the length of it, that it reaches out into eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The life the Lord offers is everlasting, not just temporary. And then think about the depth of his love. His love reaches into the very depths of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul said, Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then, and then he lists in verse 10 some of the sins that he was talking about. And there's some of the sins of the flesh. And then in verse 11 he said, But you're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified. And then think about the height of his love. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The love of God elevates. Indeed, he is able not only to save us, but to keep us saved, saved as long as we walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7. For this for which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, 2 Timothy 1.12. And our staying saved and being saved is conditioned upon our realizing that we are God's habitation. I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. From my very first day at Faulkner, it's been an incredible experience. There's so much to do around campus, and I know that I've made friends that will last a lifetime. I love using my iPad in my classes. I feel really prepared for the future. Plus, the use of e-text helps me cut costs on textbooks. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different from most other universities. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.